0: Uh, there consists, he's the one that upholds the universe in his hand, he's the great I am. Uh, I hope you'll turn in your Bibles with me, Genesis chapter 6, I almost started preaching another message. You guys, start, we, we want to be careful. All right, Genesis chapter 6, we're finishing up our series uh, that we've entitled God Is. And I hope that this has been a blessing to you because what we've tried to do over the past several weeks is we've tried to be reminded of how great our God is. Uh, In a day and age where we've made God into our own image, in a day and age where we want God to be what we want him to be, we've attempted to go into the scriptures and to be reminded of who God is as he's revealed himself to be in scriptures. That's important, folks. We live in a day where people like to pick and choose. We try to make God out to be what we want him to be. It's like a buffet line. We like to pick the items that we want. We'll put them on our plate. The ones that we don't like, what? You just pass. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to have that. We'll just pass. That's like all like the, you guys know what I'm talking about. All right, so you pass that section. But you know, the fact is, is that God's not like that. It's not a a pick and choose. It's a take him or leave him kind of deal. And I know that we're all aware of that. Genesis chapter 6. I heard a story about a preacher. He was visiting a farmer. And he wanted to, you know, he was sharing the gospel with people in the area. He approached the farmer and he, he said, you know, are you, the, are you a Christian family? Farmer didn't understand him. He said, no, the Christian family, they're about two doors down on your right-hand side. And the pastor persisted. He said, no, I don't think you understand what I mean. Are you lost? The farmer said, I've lived here for 30 years. I'm not lost. So the pastor, he's like, man, I'm not making any headway with this guy. I'm going to, let me make it even more clear. Are, are you ready for judgment day? And and that farmer looked at him and he said, well, what day is it? And the pastor said, well, it could be today or tomorrow. And so the farmer said, well, when you figure out what that is, would you come back and let me know? I think my wife would like to go both days. (laughs) And you know, when we talk about God's judgment, there's probably no other topic that's misunderstood than when we talk about God is a just God. God. Um, it's misunderstood so many people, their perception of who God is, is that he's like that grouchy grandfather that slaps his grandkid in the head when he gets out of line, right? We think that God is you know, just ready to pound us over the head when we do something wrong. But folks, when it comes to scripture, we couldn't be any more wrong. But the fact is, is that we live in a generation where people clamor about injustice. Have you noticed that? If you look in the newspapers, if you watch the news, there's all kinds of people that are, are upset with the fact that they, there's perceived injustices that go on. But the Bible teaches that God is just. You know, I was reminded uh, in the news, I read an article about uh, this particular injustice that happened back in 2007. It was in Cheshire, uh, Connecticut. Uh, Dr. William Pettit, his life was forever changed on one evening, July 23rd, 2007. Two men broke into his house. They beat him and tied him up. They killed his wife and two daughters. And his life was forever changed just in one night. The police ended up catching, catching those two men that had killed his family. And they went to the court system. And the court system came out with the ruling that they were going to put those two men to death. Well, the problem was, is that what had happened was is the court in defiance of the state legislature had abolished the death penalty only for future cases, but what they decided to do was they ruled that the death penalty was unconstitutional and they commuted all the death sentences into a life imprisonment. What ended up happening was there was a major outcry from people in the community that began to rally and said, this is injustice. This man had killed uh, his wife, also his two daughters. This isn't right. He should be punished for what had happened. It was a perceived injustice. And what people began to wonder is, is what is God's justice like? When God sees the things that happen in our world today, the things that are happening in our community, does God see it? Does God, is, is, is there going to be a day where it's going to be made right? All the wrongs, will they be eventually made right? That's the question that are on people's minds. What does God's justice look like? Folks, there's four things that we need to be reminded of, and I want to give them to you right from the beginning so that we can have a good understanding before we get into this passage. Number one, you have to understand about God's justice is God is a perfect judge. When God renders his judgment, it's always a holy judgment. He's never been wrong, not one time. He's a perfect and holy judge. Number two, you have to recognize that in his eyes, everybody has sinned. There's absolutely zero people that are perfect in our world today. All of us have made mistakes. We've sinned. We've gone our own way. We've turned our backs on God. We're all sinful. The third thing is this, is that all sin has to be punished or else God isn't just. If God overlooks sin, if he lets people get away with things, then what? Then God isn't a just God. He's not perfect. The fourth thing is this, is that God has provided a way for him to be both just and also provided a way for us to be made right with God that comes through Jesus Christ. Hey, folks, when we talk about God's judgment, it's a very unpopular topic for us to talk about. But I think that it's important because when you go through Scripture, if you were to count it up, you would find that Jesus, did you know he talked more about wrath and judgment than he talked about love? You guys are like, that doesn't really make sense to me. Well, folks, it would be the most unloving thing in the world if God knew there was a judgment that was coming, but he chose not to tell anybody about what would happen. You guys following what I'm trying to say right now? Well, come on, shake your head. Show me you guys are awake. All right, good. All right, so this, this is what we're wanting you to understand. If a judgment is going to happen, and folks, there is going to be a judgment, it would be the most unloving, ungracious, unmerciful thing that God could do to not tell us about it. Right? So with all of that in mind, although we we, uh, appreciate the fact God is love, and he is, he is gracious, he is kind, he is merciful, but folks, he's also just, and that means that every sin has to be judged or else God is not a just God. And so let's look at this passage, and what I wanna share with you is this. How many of you guys, have you ever had to watch a Hallmark movie with your wife? Oh man, I see the guy's eyes already glassing over why did you have to bring up Hallmark? All right, here's the thing is like, uh, it's, it's gonna work today kind of like a Hallmark movie. They're all the same, by the way. How do I know? I've watched them with my wife, unfortunately. And, um, and here's the thing. I love you, babe. All right, and here's the thing is that uh, Hallmark, all right, they always start off the same way. What is it? Something bad happens, all right? But then in the end, what happens is they bring it back around. They, they end up hooking up together. You know who it's gonna be the whole time, all right? And, they, and in the end, uh, the good of the part of the story happens always at the end. Okay, folks, so that's gonna be, I'm basically setting you up. It's gonna be like a Hallmark movie, okay? So (laughs) that makes you really wanna listen, fellas. Just forget what I just said. All right, so there's three things we're gonna look at. The very first thing is this. Uh, We're gonna be looking at the life of Noah. There is no other portion of scripture that we see God's justice more clearly than in the life of Noah. Very first thing we see is this, the sinfulness of man. The sinfulness of man in Genesis chapter six. Let me set up the context for you. If you were to read the first four verses of Genesis six, you know you find a very weird section of scripture. You find that there's a time of moral decline that's happening. You see that uh, that Satan has allowed some of his demons to go in and possess men, and they begin to have children with women, and they're trying to produce an offspring. Okay, that's going to try to overthrow God's greater plans of providing a Messiah for mankind. So there's great satanic, you know, oppression that's going on during the days of Noah. It was a time of great moral compromise. People were turning their backs against God. People were doing their own thing. They were in outright rebellion against God. They wanted nothing to do with him. But it becomes clear that God had reached his tipping point. He had seen all the sin that was going on with mankind on earth and God finally reaches the point that he says, it's come time, it's time for me to be able to judge mankind for for the sin that he saw that was throughout their culture and throughout the world during that time. So when we come to this portion of scripture, I want you to understand is this, God is beginning to unveil his analysis of the culture of Noah's day. Hey, folks, I want you to think and put this in the back of your mind. If God was going to unveil his analysis of our culture and our country, what do you think God's analysis of our country would be? I see you guys making faces already You're like, I don't even want to know. What we have in this portion of Scripture is a time where God kind of pulls back the curtain and he lets you begin to see the things that God sees Hey folks, in the end when God's because God's judge, really the only judgment that matters about our world and our country is what what does God say about it? Why? Because at the end of the day it's not going to be a human judge that one day we'll stand before. One day we're going to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and the fact of the matter is the only judgment that will matter at that point is what does God have to say about that? Amen. So let's look at what God reveals is happening in the days of Noah. The very first thing is this. Let's look at what God saw. Look at what he says in verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was what? It was only evil continuously or continually This word saw is a very interesting word because it means that God has a constant awareness of what's going on around. You know, the thing that makes God a great judge is that God's omniscient. There's absolutely nothing that is outside of God's vision. There's nothing outside of his scope. There's there's nothing that God has ever come across where he's like, oh, I didn't know that. When you look at this passage, we find that it isn't that God is moving along and scanning the earth and then just all of a sudden found something that he, he'd never seen before. In this passage, we see that it, it means that he, he actually sees everything. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, Will you put that up on the screen, this is what it says. It says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but this is what he's saying. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him. Folks, you know what that means? It doesn't matter what kind of sin you're talking about. God sees everything. He's fully omniscient. You can hide things from people, but what? With God, impossible. You can fool your parents. I tried that many times. But the fact is, is that my parents knew far more than I ever thought they did. Listen, with God, God knows everything about everything and now notice what it says that he saw when God looked he saw the wickedness of man was great so he saw their behavior he saw the things that they were doing but folks that's not everything that God saw hey did you know that the things that we do that's only a symptom of the bigger problem you're like Ryan what do you mean folks uh, our sin doesn't originate just in the things that we do Notice what else he saw. It says, and God says that he saw man's core. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Meaning that corruption started where? In the heart. Folks, people act incorrectly. They do wrong things. Why? Because it all originates in their heart. And at the very core of us, we have this desire. We have this natural sin bent to do the wrong things, to act the wrong ways, because we think the wrong thoughts. Our hearts are invested in the wrong things, and it comes out. And God sees that. As a matter of fact, if you were to look down at verses eleven and twelve, Noah, God begins to say that the people of Noah's days, you know what they were like. There was violence, and they were corrupt. There was an increase in murders. There was an increase in violent crimes. Hey, folks, what does that sound like to you? Hey, if you watch the news, you know what you find? Every single day there will be some kind of story about a murder. That's why, I mean, it's just like uh, I try to avoid it as much as possible. It puts me in a negative place. But the fact is, is that what? All of us were corrupt, and God sees it even the things that happen inside your heart. But I want you to notice this is one of the biggest misperceptions about God. We think that God is, he's angry. He's got uncontrolled anger over the sin that he sees. We think that he's ready to beat us up and to slap us around. Notice what next we see. We see how God felt. God is just and he does bring justice. But listen, folks, God is not emotionless. He's not cold He's not indifferent about what happens in our culture. Look at what he says in verse six. And I want to explain this because this verse is highly misunderstood. Verse six says, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Folks, is God emotionless in this passage? Is he apathetic? Is he uncaring? No, notice it says that it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth. Here's the problem, folks. When we look at the word when it says that he repented, does that mean that God changed? Because, no. folks, you know, that's a big deal if God changes. You're like, uh, well, what, is he, what do you think he means by when he uses this word repent? This word, if you'll circle it in your Bible and you'll write these words out to the side, it'll help you. It literally means that God grieved or God sighed. Hey, when you were growing up as a kid, I know you guys had this experience. Don't, don't, don't you know, act like you're something else. All right, when, when you did something wrong, did your mom ever look at you and just go, come on, like, you know what I'm talking about, right? When your mom would go, what did that mean? It meant that there was Disappointment. It meant that she expected better. Folks, when it says that God was repented, that he had made man, pay careful attention to what I'm about to tell you. This is what it meant. It meant that God was grieved in his heart because he knew that his character was holy. And it meant, based on God's holy nature, His holy character, that meant meant that it demanded that God would act on sin and it grieved His heart. Did you hear what I just said? When it says that God repented, it means that God was broken in his heart, it grieved him so much that in his holy character, it meant that God knew that he had to act on what he saw. He couldn't overlook it, he couldn't deny it, he couldn't you know, just excuse it, that it meant that in his holy nature, he repented because it broke his heart and he knew that in his holy nature, he had to act upon what he saw or else he was not a just and holy God, Folks, listen, when we sin, it breaks God's heart, it grieves him, because he knows that sin has to be punished. You know, I can remember, just for me, is that as a dad, one of the hardest things I've had to learn to do is to discipline my children. You're like, Ryan, like, you you really, like, you struggle with that sometimes? Yeah. I can remember at times, like, when my dad... And all of us have had this experience. My dad, he would come and he was, I had done something wrong and, and I, I, I was getting what I deserved. But my dad would come to me and he would say, Ryan, uh, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I'm like, what a bunch of junk. I can never, then give me the belt. I'll fix it. You don't have to hurt. <laughs> all right, but here's the thing is like, so he's like, Ryan, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And I'm like, I didn't understand that. But folks, now I'm a dad and I understand that when I, to not discipline my children means that I'm not doing the thing that's best for them in the long term. Amen. 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 Now folks, God understands that in His holy nature that He always has to act upon His righteousness and that requires that when He sees sin, sin has to be judged or God is not just, He is not righteous, He is not holy. And it breaks his heart. Notice the next thing, what God said. Look at verse seven. So this was God's judgment on what was going to happen. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me. Notice again, it grieved God's heart, uh, it grieved me that I have made them. He recognized that he had to act. He had to do something or else he wasn't just. Now, this word destroy is the idea of blotting something out of a book. You ever had to erase something and you have to use that big eraser and you're you're scribbling it out? Well, that's literally what it means. When it says that God was going to destroy man, it literally means this. God was going to blot their name out of the book. He was going to erase it. The sin that the people of Noah's day had committed was so great that God had to act in his holiness because he's a just God. Now you like might be sitting here thinking, well, Ryan, that doesn't seem fair. Folks, God's not fair. You're like, Ryan, how could you say God's not fair? Folks, if God's fair, fair just means that he treats everybody the same. And fairness would mean that there would not be a person left on earth that was outside of God's judgment. Folks, God's not fair, he's just meaning that his judgments are always righteous. And here's the fact is that because God is a just God, he does provide a way of escape for us so that we don't have to be punished, but he'll level the punishment on his son for those that turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and they believe him for salvation. Guess what happens? God is just, he'll level the wrath of God on his son instead of giving it to you. Folks, we don't want God to be fair, we want him to be just, Now, follow along with what happens because, listen, folks, God's just, God being just also runs into all of his other attributes because, folks, listen, God is also long-suffering. He's also patient. That's a good part, folks. He's also loving and patient and long-suffering. Look at what he does in verse 3, and I want you to notice this. And the Lord said, my spirit, that word spirit should be a capital S, okay? And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. That word strive is the idea of I won't always protect man. Notice what he says for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Okay, so this is what he's saying. God's saying that I'm not always through my Holy Spirit going to strive with man. I'm not going to always protect you and always be convicting you through the Holy Spirit about my judgment. And what he tells them is this, folks. This is the, how good God is and how long-suffering he is. He said that the days of man will be what? 120 years. What does he mean by that? Well, from that point, what was going to happen? God was going to give the instructions to Noah to begin doing what? Start building the ark. And during that time, it was going to take Noah 120 years to build the ark. During that time when he was building, what was he also doing, folks? He was also preaching that God's judgment was coming. That time that he had never seen rain and he began to build that ark And he began to do it right in the middle of that area. And when people saw it, they would be reminded that God's judgment was coming on them. And the fact is, is that he gave them 120 years to respond to God's warning. Hey, folks, is that long-suffering? Is that patient? Folks, is that patient? Like, we live in Nashville. We have very little patience anymore. Our traffic situation, like any line, I'm not patient at all. But listen, folks, when it says here in this passage that God waited 120 years And Noah was building this ark and everybody would be wondering, what are you building? Why in the world, like in the middle of the land, there wasn't even a sea that was around where he was at. And all of it would point to the fact that one day judgment's coming, folks, and God said it and he was warning them and giving them opportunity to respond and giving them an opportunity to repent and turn to God. And guess what, folks? How many people did it? Only eight. Only eight. Hey, folks, this is a reminder. When God says the judgment's going to come, what, what does he mean? It's going to come. He means what he says. As a matter of fact, if you look throughout Scripture, God always talked, he always warned of judgment before it came. If you look later in the Scriptures in Genesis, you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, he warned Lot that, hey, he warned Abraham, hey, there's going to come a time where I'm going to rain down fire and brimstone. You remember what happened with Israel when uh, he warned them that the Assyrians were eventually gonna come in and take them? How about Judah? He said, hey, by the way, folks, if you don't repent and make things right with me, Babylon's gonna take you. And by the way, did you know that Jesus used the story of Noah to remind everybody of what's gonna happen one day? You see, the first time that God came uh, with judgment, he came with water. Did you know that the next time that he's gonna come in the future, it's gonna be with fire? Look at what the Bible says in Luke 17. 26 and 27. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. Look at the next verse. They did eat, they did drink, they married their wives, and they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What does he mean by that? When God's time of his wrath actually comes, folks, it's gonna come suddenly when you least expect it. Hey, folks, the goodness of God is that he reminds us that, hey, uh, your sin, it's a problem. God sees your sin. He also tells us that, hey, your sin, it actually breaks his heart. He feels sympathy for it. But also, folks, God says that one day he's going to judge your sin. And, folks, that calls us to a response, doesn't it? Right? I heard a story about a man that, uh, or a lady, she worked for the IRS. Poor lady. Uh, She worked in Utah. And her job was to follow up on people that were delinquent on their taxes. That would be a horrible job. And so this lady, they actually, she called Alaska to talk to a specific man, couldn't reach him. Uh, They patched her through to a ham operator who then patched her through to the Aleutian Islands where uh, they uh, began to try to track down this man that was delinquent on his taxes. Well, they finally found this man. He was actually, they patched him through to a, a fishing boat that was in the North Pacific Islands. And when she got on the phone, she said, hello, sir, I'm with the IRS, I'm calling from, from Utah. And the man began to laugh at him, and laugh at this lady and say, ha, ha, why don't you come and get me? And hung up the phone. You know, the fact is, is that you can dodge the IRS. But folks, when God talks about his judgment, there's absolutely nobody that will dodge his justice and his judgment You know why that is? Because he's the judge of the universe, and before his throne, everybody will have to stand and give an account. Amen? Amen. All right, now let's follow the second thing. You're like, Ryan, man, you've really depressed me with all this talk of judgment. And folks, it's just a reality. We need to be reminded of that, right? Okay, now let's look at the second part because it's gonna start getting better. Whenever God has times of judgment, you know what he does before that? He allows people time to respond. He says, I'm letting you know in 120 years my judgment's gonna come. And you know what God did? He put the message out there for people to respond. Notice what happens. We see the salvation of Noah. It was gonna be 120 years. Look at what God did. The very first thing is that, verse eight, it says, but Noah. Why do you think it starts off with that? It means it's in stark contrast to what we saw previously. But Noah found what? All right, folks, we're going to make sure you wake up a little bit this morning, all right? So we're going to say that word together, all right? But Noah found grace grace in the eyes of the Lord. Folks, thank God for grace. Amen. 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 During this time of God's long-suffering, God calls people to himself. During the worst of times, God begins to clue people into the message. Hey, folks, that's the age that we're living in. We're in a time of grace, where God is still dispensing grace to people that'll listen to his message. Now, follow along with what happens. Because what we have in this passage is we have the intersection of God's grace and God's what? His justice are coming together at this point. Folks, God's not just justice. He's also a gracious God. God also offers opportunity to everybody that will respond. Now, notice what happens But you might be sitting here thinking, well, well, Ryan, Noah was probably a good guy, right? That's why God gave him grace. Wrong. That's not grace. Grace is never God giving something to somebody because they're a good person. It's God giving grace in spite of what the person's like. If you don't believe me, look later in Genesis, you'll find that Noah did some pretty terrible things. Now, notice what happens. I, I want to show you a verse in Scriptures. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Look at what this says. By faith, Noah, being warned of God. Hey, folks, that's grace right there. God warned him ahead of time. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of the things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Now, notice what happens in this passage. Whenever God has times of justice, there's always a time of God calling people to himself. And what God did with Noah was this. He began to warn Noah, hey, in 120 years, my rain's going to come down. And by the way, Noah had never seen rain before. In the middle of a land, he was going to begin to build this box. For 120 years, he would begin to work on it. People would be saying, Noah, you're crazy, man. Like, what is rain? What are you even talking about? They had never seen it before. And Noah continued to build it because why? Because he believed the Lord. He trusted him. He put his faith in what he had said, that it was true. And for 120 years, despite what everybody said, he acknowledged the warning and he believed it. Folks, that's faith. And when that, he acknowledged his faith. You know what happened? He was... Saved People always have the question, well, how did people get saved in the Old Testament? He believed God's warning that God would make a provision that would make up for all of his sin. And when he believed in God's provision, you know what happened? God saved him. It says that's why it happened by faith, okay? By faith, Noah, he believed the warning that God had given to him. And notice what it says. So he was, God gave him the gift of grace He heard God's judgment, he responded and believed, but notice what else happened. This is a picture of salvation, folks. Notice what else happened. It says that he became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. From that moment that he trusted that God would bring judgment, and he began to build, that he trusted what God's warning said, and he trusted in God's provision, God saved him, but then God declared him righteous. You're like, Ryan, what does that mean? It's the moment in which God declares a person that's sinful, a person that's come to faith in God, that's put their faith in Jesus Christ. God looks at that person and he takes their sin away. He says, you are now right with me. When God looked at him, he no longer saw his sin anymore. He saw that his sins had been covered by God's grace. He was now in right standing with God. Now notice that this word righteous, it means complete. That means that, hey, when you came to the point of salvation and you got saved and God declared you righteous, this is what it means, folks. When God looks at you, you're no longer lacking anything. You're saved, you're complete, you're right with God, nothing else needed. And you're like, Ryan, what do you mean by that? His sins were taken care of. But notice, folks, listen, he got saved, he got justified, declared righteous, but I want you to see what else. Look at verse nine. This is a very important verse, and I want you to stay with me, folks, because right after I do this verse, I want to bring something that's going to be a challenge to everybody here today. I want to make it very practical. Look at what he says in verse nine. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and a perfect in his generations, and Noah did what? All right, let's try that again. I'm gonna start trying to get you guys to participate with me. All right, let's say it again. And Noah walked with God. Oh, we can do better. Let's do that better. All right, ready? And Noah walked with God. You're like, Ryan, what's the big deal? Notice the progression. God comes to him with a warning. He trusts in him and he believes God saves him. And when he got saved by his faith, God then declared him righteous. He said, you're now right with me. From that point on, He was righteous in God's sight. From then he goes to the third step and from there begins the process of sanctification. You're like, Ryan, what does that mean? Noah walked with God and as he walked with him, God began to make him more and more like him. And you guys are like, well, Ryan, what's the big deal? Why are you sitting here like stressing all of this over and over again? Stay with me. Because the big deal with that is that when you come to verse 10, I want you to see what it says. Look at what it says. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You're like, okay, Brian, big deal. He had three kids. Well, Noah, when he begat these three kids, he had three sons. And for 120 years, his three boys got to see what it looked like for a man of God to walk with the Lord. For three years, they got to watch their dad build a boat, 120 years he built.